Stand by for a start. Racing at $210,000 at Isella Dunn Welldown. Hello and welcome to episode 15 of The Shortlist, the official podcast of the Federation of Bloodstock Agents Australia. And as we know, this podcast is brought to you each edition by our fantastic sponsors at IRT, who are going to be very busy coming up, I've got a feeling, in the next month or so, transporting horses around the world and Stable Financial. Joining me today to discuss all things relevant to spring and the start of the Southern Hemisphere breeding season are Seamus Mills from Seamus Mills Bloodstock and Lenny Russo from Bluegrass Bloodstock. Gentlemen, welcome. How are you on this beautiful 1st of September, the start of the Southern Hemisphere breeding season? Fantastic, Shark. Um, yeah, as you say, the 1st of September. So we are officially underway. The first mares have been covered this morning. It's uh, it's an exciting time of the year, Shark. Thanks for having us. And uh Looking forward to the next uh, half an hour. Nice to be able to talk some things around mating plans and stallions. And we'll talk a little bit about spring imports as well. But being three proven stallions ourselves, you know, we're all sort of ready for anything, aren't we, really? I'm not standing for a lot of money. Uh, so when you say proven, I'd be more in the bread and butter sort of category, I would have thought. But uh, I, I certainly, I, I, get the, um, I get the analogy. I'll tell you what, if uh, if anyone was unhappy, there'd always be a free return on offer as well. <laughs> now, let's have a, have a chat about mating plans in particular. Uh, I think it's something that people, they, look, they well and truly pour over, don't they? People, broodmare owners, farm owners, multiple mares, expensive mares, cheap mares, people looking for an angle. It's It's a process that probably starts a lot earlier than the average punter Thinks Seamus. When when do you start working with your clients, uh, planning upcoming meetings? Yeah, look, I guess everyone's different, and Lenny will have his own sort of uh, process. But uh, for myself, look, in April, pretty much after the Easter sales, when these fees start coming out, um, you try and line up, uh, you know, what you what you might like to do, and start looking at the mares, you know, you've got on hand. Um, I've got to say there's still a few people I'm working with at the moment to see what they want to do. It's, uh, it is every bit, in my experience, of a sort of four- to five-month process. And, um, you know, often even during the season, you need to make a few a few changes. But, yeah, pretty much pretty much straight after the Easter sale when I try and kick off. And when it comes to grabbing those, those nominations, and, and look, we know that, People tend to move on the Hunter Valley Stallions a little bit earlier than, than in Victoria and Queensland and other places. But is it a case of thinking, okay, I think he, this Stallion's value or I really want to be with him this year, ring up, secure a couple of noms and then worry about placing mares later? Does it, does it work a, a bit backward, I guess, sometimes like that, back to front? Look, for me, it, yeah, it, do, it does a bit. I actually think that the system, look, we could, we've only got, what have we got, 30 minutes? I could, I probably shouldn't talk for the next 45. <laughs> but uh, I would just say that I think actually the process needs a bit of an overhaul because at the moment it's a bit of a, uh, as you said, it's a bit of a first in best dressed. And there's, you know, there's plenty of people who probably just ring up, hoard some noms and figure I'll work out the mares later. Um 
I'm not sure that is the best process for us all to have enough time to really work out the best mare for the stallion rather than just the most commercial horse and just grab hold of the noms uh, willy-nilly. If we've got 30 seconds here, I'll try to explain it very quickly, but I think it should be a bit like um, the sort of uh, high school, I mean, the tertiary education system. You know, you should submit the mare to the stallion you want and then on the 1st of June... Uh, you're told whether you get in or not. And then uh, you can, on the 1st of July, there's another round and, you know, um, 1st of August, et cetera. But just to just calm the whole thing down versus a a sort of grab for noms. So there is is a little bit of that shark. How do you find it, Len? I like that idea, um, Seamus. I think think that could be implemented. Uh, Probably won't be, but, yeah, (laughs) would be be a good way to go. Rather than you know, like people just going in and taking up the noms and and uh, sort of not being available uh, down the track, you know. So just submitting your mares and then uh, seeing whether you're, you're sort of accepted would be a good way to do it. it it's almost it sounds a little bit like there's a there's a panic buy element to it. You know, because it's a commercially driven market. You know certain stallions are going to sell out. So you run in, you grab three or four of what you can get. And as you say, Seamus, worry about the mares later on. But does that necessarily then play out long-term to see the right mares go to the, those stallions? You know, the, the, the studs are driven by selling noms and yep. the market wants to make sure they get the best, most popular stallions. Does that end up translating to the best possible racehorses that we see on the track? Probably not. No, I wouldn't think so either, Len. What do you reckon? Definitely not. No, because at the end of the day, like the the process like Seamus would do and all the other agents is you're trying to match your mare um, as best you can type-wise and pedigree-wise to a stallion. Um, But if you're going the other way, like the the knobs are just getting taken up. So effectively, like a lot of the time that, the mares that are going to the stallions aren't necessarily the best suited. So what's coming out on the ground isn't going to necessarily be the best representation of of that stallion and and ability to run. So, yeah, no, I I think it sort of goes against what what you probably should be doing. Do you feel that other, your your colleagues on the FBAA, would they share... Would the majority of them sort of share similar thoughts? And and if so, how does, you know, the association get involved with, I guess, driving change? Is it is it possible to change that aspect of, of the breeding season? I, I think it's possible. I mean, um, we've never really sat down as a group and, you know, sort of had this conversation. I suppose everyone's in the same boat and they, they sort of do their best. But, um, you know, I, I would do... Just to give, just to, just to explain why that why I think the current system so sort of anti the breed a little bit is, you know, I would do over a hundred matings anyway, and each one of those would take, you know, could take if 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 they're particular mare that matches up with a lot of horses and you know sort of your client's budget and geographical constraints, those you know becomes obvious quite quick. But for a lot, it does take quite a bit of time and. And there is just no way in the world that I that I have sat down, got to that mare, uh, done a thorough analysis of her and come up with the right horse by the time 
all the norms have basically been sort of allocated, you know. So mm. the, the, some of these some of these fees are announced and they're apparently full, you know, three days later. Um, which I understand they would be if everybody rings up and says, "I want you know two schnitzels, two I'm Invincibles, and whatever." That, that's yeah. the case, but. I can't possibly imagine, unless everyone's working at midnight, that uh, that people have actually done the full analysis of their mare and decided that that is the right stallion for that mare. So, so talking about that analysis, and you, you've just come back from a big tour of uh, the Hunter Valley, Seamus and looking at all the stallions up there with the, the stud masters on that uh, infamous stud masters tour. So the, the physical aspect of those horses is is very fresh in your mind. When you're doing your analysis, and Lenny, I'll ask you the same question as well, does the physical aspect of the stallion and then the physical component of the mare, is that more important for you? Do you go back and do the you know traditional pedigree tables and looking for duplications? Are you factoring in what's hot now, what's not? What, what sort of carries more weight for you in that analysis? Oh, look, for me, it's all the above. Um, uh, certainly physical is probably number one which makes the use of um the shuttle horses so hard especially the first season horses you know like you look at a horse like pinatubo you know obviously very popular first season at um dali and you know everybody's booked their mares based on assumption really yeah. Unless people have seen him in the northern hemisphere, which would be a tiny minority of the of, of the mayors he of the mayor owners or whatever that he's going to um, cover this year, uh, no, no, everybody sort of books based on hearsay and you know asking the stud what he looks like and that sort of thing. So even as far as that goes, and you say about you know the betterment of the breed and so on and whether it's the right way we're going about it, look, obviously. For a lot of people, they might go and look at the stallion. What I would normally do is I wouldn't give the nom back sort of thing, but you might adjust which mare is going to go and maybe change which mare is going to go. But the physical nature of it, I do everything on on pedigree first, everything to do with, you know, so I've got particular things I like duplicating or particular crosses I like. So I do all that first, and then then the, the visit to the stallions you haven't seen is just a rubber stamp. Yeah, for, for myself, um, Shark, I... I don't have the uh, the benefit of the guys that I think it's great when you can just have someone that says they want to breed to race because um, you can probably delve more into matching them up pedigree-wise and duplicating um, parts of the pedigree that you, you think can really work. Um, my guys are sort of more dictated to what you can sell in the sale ring. So really when, when I'm assessing um a stallion it, it's really to compliment the mayor that you're going to send to her send to him um you know you you might have a speed mare that's that lacks a lot of legs so you're going to try and put a little bit of leg underneath her or you're not so great in front so you're going to try and tidy that up and and that sort of thing because uh, at the end of the day you're, you're going into a sale ring and it's a physical that gets judged mostly by most guys that are buying or girls, um, as opposed to, you know, pedigree does come into it, but I, I think that it's the athlete that's that's selling. So you probably got to, well, for, for mine, I'm, I'm always trying to, to get the best physical on the ground. 
you often hear people say, I breed to, I just breed to race, you know, and you then suppose that the alternative is that you breed to sell. But if you want to breed to sell or breed to race, you need an athletic specimen, don't you? So the physique then becomes the most important thing. Yeah, it, it does. But it, it, in, in saying that, like with, with breeding to race, there's, there's times where you could go to a stallion that's that's a precocious stallion that might be leaving smaller stock and you might have a smaller mare. But if you're going to the sale ring, well, you, you're not going to go with that mare to the smaller stallion because you're going to get a smaller foal. But if you're just breeding to race, well, it doesn't matter if you've got to wait another 12 months for that foal to, to sort of grow um, because he might be three, but he's going to be fast. But if he's not there at 15 months when he's in the, the premier sale, the Easter sale, you're going to get judged harshly and 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 not going to make the money required. So that's probably, yeah, sort of where I look at that. And you talk about, I guess, physical aspects of progeny and trying to get that right physical for the track or or for the sales ring. And then, Seamus, you've got a stallion like Seamus Award, who for a long time wasn't really setting anyone's tongues wagging come auction time and they were kind of passed over until he started to get those great results on the track. And now we see his popularity soar and, and yearling sales and whatever else tend to accept the type that he leaves rather than trying to expect the perfect horse from Seamus Award. Yeah, look, there's a few that do that. There, there's a there's two things. There's one that that, I mean, I think when you talk about breed to race versus breed to sell, there's actually a, you know, there's a, uh, there's a, a, a drawback for people who are, when you are breeding to sell, you should still be looking to, you should effectively be trying to apply the principles that you would breed to race. Because at the end of the day, you know, your mare's going to have a, a four to five year sort of uh, um, time frame to get things right and to get a few winners after which you're in a bit of strife. So, yeah, okay, you can breed for the sale ring in the short term, but if you're not breeding something that's actually going to be successful longer term, you're certainly shortening the lifespan, not the lifespan, but the 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 commercial span of the mare that you're breeding with. But as you say, specifically with some stallions, they... There's there's some service fees out there where I think it's it's reflective of their um, performance on the racetrack rather than their performance in a sale ring, and I think for a long time a horse like so you think was doing really good things on the track, but his sale ring sort of results hadn't caught up to that, and so there was that there's that lag between um, his service fee rising. To you know, should a should a stud farm set a stallion's fee according to their racetrack success or their sale ring success? And Seamus Award and so you think are both horses who have have had that lag between their their service fee catching up probably more to their racetrack success than their sale ring success. When it comes to the transport of your valuable thoroughbreds, look no further than IRT, the world leader in horse transport. IRT has serviced the international market for almost 50 years with offices in Australia, New Zealand, Germany, the UK and the USA. Their experienced staff are with you and your horse at every step of the journey. IRT are proud to support the FBAA in enhancing and promoting the Australian thoroughbred market. IRT, your horse, our passion. Adam Timms here. 
Stable Financial has been helping thoroughbred businesses since before GST started, and we enjoy some incredible, long-standing client relationships. We're very happy to support FBAA and its reputable network of advisors. As the Bloodstock agents facilitate trading opportunities, the stable makes sure that horse owners, breeders, trainers, and syndicators are getting Group 1 business and tax advice. Please visit our website and get in touch with our awesome team at the stable. See how we can add value to your horse business and let you focus on finding winners rather than worrying about it. I remember having that conversation with Anthony Mithin about that, you know, it's probably 18 months ago, saying this is a really interesting decision for you and your team to make because he's getting the results on the track, but the yielding averages that he sells for will effectively be less than his service fee. Yeah. And then there's that whole conversation around, well, we'll expect an uprise because of the racetrack performance, but there is a lot of deliberation, a lot of analysis that goes into what's coming, isn't there, when when these fees oh, are set? Yeah. Of course there is. Stallions in particular, uh, where, where do each of you think the value is at the moment in the that proven stallion bracket? You know, I think for the average punter, they look at the top and they see... I'm Invincible and So You Think and Written Tycoon and the same sort of names up there. And, oh, yeah, see the name in a form guide. Therefore, that that horse must be good. But is there a horse outside of the very obvious that, that most punters would know uh, that you've supported this year or recommended to clients to support in the last couple of years because you think there's there's bigger things to come? There's a couple that have come down to Victoria Shark that um, are quite interesting that at that 20 $20,000 bracket, uh, I think, are, are quite appealing in, in that with uh, Nakoni and Rubik. Rubik's obviously having a pretty good run at the moment with um, Jack and O winning and Bound for Home running round. Um, Nakoni's a horse that I've always gravitated to at the sales. Um, they're always they're pretty good moving horses. He's, he's, he's as good a mover as you'll, you'll probably see, Nakoni himself. And um, he only had the three horses sell at Melbourne this year, and they, they averaged 240. But uh, I think at that service fee coming in here with our mares here, um, there are a couple of good good prospects at that at that sort of money that that mare owners can breed to and 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 be a chance of achieving some good sales success when they go to the sales and 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 they leave runners. I reckon you have to, yeah, maybe go even further afield. I, I reckon there's not a heap of value around this year. I think service fees are, it's the eternal argument between farms and breeders, you know, with the with the rise and rise of service fees. But if you if you want to put your mare on a plane, I actually think the best value is in New Zealand, and that's probably been a, a fair while since since anybody could say that. Um, but I think a couple of horses over there. Probably been underpriced. Um, Tavachi's certainly one, um, and Tarzino would be the other one. I think yeah. um, Tarzino at fifteen thousand. I reckon they they might have set that fee a bit too bit too early. I think uh, jump the gun. Yeah. Yeah, poor old Jerry Harvey he needs the money too, and um, he's, <laughs> he's probably he's probably missing out on ten thousand a man. So he'll be pulling his hair out. I'd say right now. We need a horse like Tarzino, don't we? We need a, a young stallion that was uh, performed over a, over more of a staying trip, but that can leave that that really strong, classy middle distance horse. It's it's where we have the dearth of talent in Australia. 
Yeah. New Zealand, look, Len knows more about New Zealand than me, so he, he can probably tell you, like, where all the, you know, where you can fish for the best results in, in New Zealand um, with, with buying all the stock he does out of there. But from a, from a breeding perspective, I think New Zealand's now starting to realise, go back to their strengths, you know, that um, that filly market, as in uh, lightly raised fillies out of New Zealand bought into Australia, which, you know, also probably something Len does a bit, the, is extremely strong. And I think they've gone back to their back to their roots. I think for too long they stood B-grade, yep. C-grade Aussie sprinters. And now with a few of these horses like Ocean Park and obviously, you know, Seven Bills, they've been there forever. But, um, you know, Tarzino is now another one where I think they're now realising where they're, you know, the sort of horses they're best to stand. Um, and as I say, there's some, you know, some good value. And, and probably now we've opened up a bit from COVID and so on. It's good timing for them that, you know, they can stack their sales with with some of these horses too. No, I, I, I agree, Shams. Um, so obviously it comes a lot back to the environment that they're grown out in in New Zealand. Um, it's an environment that, you know, it's so rich uh, with the volcanic soil and, Horses get such good bone density, but they they do take time, and I think that suits what they're breeding there. So you don't need to rush them, but when you get them here, they're they're such sound, strong sort of horses, and and they can race for many a season. And I think that's been their their sort of asset over the years is is that they come here and, and perform at a high level, but overground and race consistently for a long time so i think 100% i agree like they're getting back to what they did best and um and that's great for us because we can then go and source their horses from there but it's probably probably easier to try and source them before they've hit the racetrack because uh geez the prices have got uh really expensive there trying to source them off the track and on that topic in New Zealand, and I, I guess the, the trade market, we are sort of coming into the spring carnival time. And we know there's going to be European horses come chasing the carps and there'll be rich consortiums of Aussies going and trying to buy a, a Melbourne Cup raffle ticket. But with some changes on a global economic scale, but also with Racing Victoria Vets and whatever else, that, that market's just pulled back a little bit, I think. But we keep going back to New Zealand for those reasons that you guys mentioned and it, what I've found interesting are guys like Bray Sikolsky and Ozzy Kerr who have traditionally gone and bought horses in Europe and spent that big money chasing those big results now they're going and, and picking those fillies out of trials and everything else like the Sierra Sioux of this world yeah. and getting a big result here which is driving a whole new market there's a couple of factors that are in your favour when you're going there and that one of the, one of the biggest things I think Aussie trainers are getting better at it is acclimatising the horses from Europe um, or Japan or where they're coming from to here. Um, whereas from New Zealand, it, the racing's very similar, um, tracks are similar, um, and it, it's not such a big thing for a horse to come from New Zealand uh, to Australia. So a lot of the time, as long as you're buying the right sort of form, um, you're not going to burn too much of a hole in the pocket, whereas you can go and spend a million dollars on a big prospect from Europe, and um, it it doesn't go a yard when it gets here. And that's 
that's always a bit of a worry. And now with with the vetting protocols, now it's just it's made it pretty tough to get those horses from over there. So I, I can see why the interest has, has gone back to New Zealand. Seamus, for many years, there was a bit of a criticism about the New Zealand market and that they weren't introducing enough new blood, particularly with their broodmares. And it was kind of like the same old families were being bred from time and time again. Have you seen a change uh, from where you sit with the, the way they've, they've gone about their breeding in the last sort of four or five years? Not in particular, no. Not in, not in terms of refreshing mares and that sort of stuff when you look through their yearling sale catalogues. But they certainly, as I said, they've gone back a little bit. You know, it's interesting how markets move. And obviously that, you know, there would have been a time in, in New Zealand at which if you had a filly, you'd almost be asking the stud manager for the money back, you know, uh, on a service fee. And and now there's a legitimate, you know, sort of uh, path for those horses. So I always find these things sort of ebb and flow and they correct themselves, you know, uh, sort of European horses versus New Zealand you look at a, you know, some other horses like Satono Aladdin's one that's probably bobbed up, you know, and and there's been there's two or three of those now that have been, you know, used the term pinhooked out of New Zealand and 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 look like genuine sort of spring horses, um, you know. So he's another one that's sort of now bobbed up. And the reality is, I think in this country is that when you look at our breeding, one thing that we did speak a lot about in the last couple of days on that tour was. You know, are we moving a little bit away from the stallions who are, to be frank, nothing really but cheap speed, you know? Um, you see horses like Maurice and uh, Spirit of Boom, so you think these horses that that race had some longevity to them, had genuine quality and class, uh, and to probably, in a lot of ways, if we are trying to better the breed, are probably the sort of stallions we should be breeding more to, and less to the horse who had very few starts and might have, you know, won a group three as a as a two or three-year-old. So I think New Zealand, as Len was saying, the the benefit for them is that they've they breed these horses that probably train on better than us, and they breed these horses you can win a derby or an oaks with. And the reality is you probably can't do there's no jurisdiction in the world that does everything perfectly. And we do produce the best sprinters in the world, but we need a hand at a mile plus, I would say, as far as our breeding goes. And and uh, and New Zealand provides that, you know, I guess that that source of that type of uh, that type of horse. Adam Timms here. Stable Financial has been helping thoroughbred businesses since before GST started, and we enjoy some incredible long-standing client relationships. We're very happy to support FBAA and its reputable network of advisors. As the Bloodstock agents facilitate trading opportunities, the stable makes sure that horse owners, breeders, trainers and syndicators are getting Group 1 business and tax advice. Please visit our website and get in touch with our awesome team at the stable. See how we can add value to your horse business and let you focus on finding winners rather than worrying about it. When it comes to the transport of your valuable thoroughbreds, look no further than IRT the world leader in horse transport. IRT has serviced the international market for almost 50 years with offices in Australia, New Zealand, Germany, the UK and the USA. Their experienced staff are with you and your horse at every step of the journey. IRT are proud to support the FBAA in enhancing and promoting the Australian thoroughbred market. IRT, your horse, our passion. Maybe we are about to witness a bit of a change in the landscape and a and a return to 
quality, as you say, rather than cheap thrills. It'd be good. It'd be good. I mean, yeah. I don't know how Len sort of uh, sits, but certainly with a lot of my uh, clients, look, they still want to, you know, they're looking for a commercial outcome, but mm-hmm. they 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 want to breed. You know, they don't want to just keep turning mares over. So they want to breed stuff that um, that can train on and that can keep their mare in that commercial zone for longer. Um, look, I'm hoping I'm not the only one, you know, sort of in that bracket. But, yeah, I think, I think we have, as I said, most markets correct themselves. And there might just be – it takes a little bit of success from these stallions and then everybody follows. So – um, look, yeah, hopefully the other agents could also sort of report that, that I, some of these horses that have proven themselves over a few more seasons are going to be uh, – uh, you're still going to be popular. I mean, Animo is a great example, isn't he, Lenny? Yeah. You know, like oh, Animo yeah. horse, you know, like he, they could have easily sent him off the stud uh, already, and um, but they didn't. They kept him in They kept him in work, and I don't know what you think, but uh, I think that would be – I agree. Uh, I'm there with you, mate, uh, because uh, not because uh, Mick Shark is our host here, but I was only saying to them the other day that uh, being at the Leneva parade, uh, looking at Fierce Impact, how much I appreciated a horse like him because he's he's a horse that raced uh, season after season, raced at a, a really good level at that sort of mile, mile level at Group 1 and was consistently good. We don't see many stallions like that going to stud. So we don't know what these horses are like that win a slipper and then just go straight off to stud. Like So it's, it, it is, I like to see those horses that do race on and like Vanamo racing on, that, that, that's great. It's great for racing and it's great for breeding. Maybe that's why some of these Japanese stallions like Maurice and Satono Aladdin, why they're able to have that bit of an impact, even, even at too with some younger horses because they they are tested you know up until four and five and six years of age sometimes older some of the stallions that stand in japan uh and, and they can still get winners winners of all ages and overall distances because they had that quality it's a big and the young. japanese are big on that when i went over uh to japan that was one thing that i sort of picked up is that their horses um they only breed to the horses that that are sort of their best race horses and race on and win derbies and and uh, do what they need to do on the track and probably n- not so fussed on their confirmation as such because there's there's such good race horses that they will do will do what they need to do on the track and and then they'll pass it on to their progeny. Whereas uh, we're a bit different here; it all sort of stops pretty quickly and they're off to stud. And uh, you probably don't get to see what, what they can do. Um, I, I, I like that way myself. There's a lot of, um, it's interesting going around the, you know, sales around the world and, you know, you see Northern Farm and Yoshida and particularly, you know, he, he's bought some mares in Europe and England, uh, in, you know, France and England and so on, or even America when I've been at the sales and I've, I've seen them and they're very underwhelming sorts Uh physically but were very tough sound good race mares um and i think even when you look at what he's hooked out of australia 
there's not much that he's gone in the way of sort of uh, cheap speed. Most of, you know, what he's bought are, are similar vein sort of horses. And, you know, they obviously have a little bit more luxury as far as the width of their of their breeding um, and how many people want to put things in the sale ring. You know, he's got a bit of a monopoly there, but obviously they can just sort of breed the best to the best and sort of produce the best, you know, whereas with us, as I said, those sale ring constraints probably mean that a lot of people choose the best stallion for their mare based on a sale result, not not on a racetrack result. And that would be, that can be put to the side a little bit in Japan. And and that's to the detriment of the breed, isn't it? At the end of the day, it is when you're, when you're going down. And but they're probably you know in the position, as you said, show that that they can um, can throw that that money to get the best best possible stock and and be able to put it to the best possible stay in, rather than be dictated to by what they can sell in the salary. Gentlemen, before I let you go, it is you know. The spring carnival, or near enough to, I'm looking out my study window and the, the blossom tree next door is in full full rage. So we, we're getting close. We're, we're officially into the spring. Have, is there a horse that you're looking forward to seeing on the track this spring? I'll put you on the spot here. I should have given you forewarning, but what's the first horse that comes to mind that you think, gee, I, I can't wait to see where he or she ends up this spring? Lenny, you, you go first. All right. Um, <laughs> Profondo for me. Um, Cox Plate. That's I loved his run first up. He's a son of Deep Impact. I think he's a very, very good horse. And I don't know if that's the sort of horse I should be saying that I'm, I'm looking to watch. It was a, it should be a two-year-old or three-year-old uh, or two-year-old from last season. Uh, but, um, yeah, no, that's the one for me. What about you, Seamus? Oh, I shouldn't have let Lenny go first because he just stole my horse. Uh, <laughs> that was a dud move, wasn't it? Jeez. But he is um, the most interesting horse, though, isn't he? When you think of his what he showed in those first few starts and then the couple of failures, one on a wet track, one in Melbourne, and people, he's kind of the forgotten horse, isn't he, Profondo? Yeah. Look, I, I made a uh, stupid call on Twitter 12 months ago that he'd win a Cox Plate. And given that you shouldn't say anything on Twitter whatsoever, uh, <laughs> unless you want to get into three days of abuse, um, I probably shouldn't have said that. So uh, hopefully I'll be able to, you know, dig out all those old tweets from 12 months ago and um, and stick it to a few people. But uh, if he does win the Cox Plate, but the, probably the outside, um, outside him, the horse that I thought might be rated the the best horse in Australia at the, at the end of 2022 was Jouet. Um I, I just thought that her last prep showed her, you know, showed her probably the equal to anything in the country at weight for age at her best. Um, and I know she's had a little bit of a sketchy start to her preparation. So I, I hope for Ed Cummings sake, everything sort of gets back on track with her, but um, uh, she's a, you know, she's a mare I think is very exciting. It'd be interesting to see if, you know, mares have dominated almost for the last 10 years, haven't they, uh, the, the the Australian racing, as in the best horse in the country. Um, pretty much exclusively has been a mare for the last 10 or 12 years, and I, I thought Juway might be the next. Well, gentlemen, we've covered plenty of ground today. 
And we've got plenty to look forward to as well over the next couple of months of spring racing. Seamus Lenny, thanks for joining me today on the shortlist. Thanks for having a shot. Always a pleasure, mate. And thanks to you for listening to this episode of The Shortlist. And remember, if you'd like assistance with anything related to the purchase or trade of thoroughbred bloodstock, get yourself on over to bloodstockagents.com.au and get in touch with an FBAA member.